Hey everyone, Stuart here. This week's episode has a little bit of, let's just say, colorful language in it. Not much, but I just wanted to let you know in case you're thinking about listening in a place where it might be otherwise inappropriate to listen out loud. Whether it's work or the little ones are around or whatever the situation may be, don't be afraid to pause right here, throw on those headphones, and enjoy. Otherwise, let's get into it. You have to be really serious about what you want in life. And I think after we built Gym Launch and sold those businesses and we're like, it was a monetary success in my opinion, like a large monetary success, but it didn't feel like an impact success to me. On an industry, many would say yes, but I was like, I want to have a bigger impact than that. And I think that's what the content allows us to do while also benefiting us from a business standpoint. What's up? I'm super excited to be talking to my guests here today. I'm in Las Vegas just for this, so this is super important to me. I'm talking to Layla Hermosi, but in case you don't know who she is, I'm going to have her introduce herself. Layla, can you introduce yourself to the people and tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Gosh, I always get so awkward with these things. I'm like, ugh, what do I say? Huh. Uh, no, I'm uh, the CEO of Acquisition.com currently. Um, I grew up in Michigan, uh, moved to California when I was about 20, and then pursued a career in fitness. I got into fitness and quickly realized that I need to learn marketing and sales. Um, and so I pursued learning those things. And then uh, randomly on Bumble met my now husband, who I started a business with called Gym Launch. And we built and sold that business along with two others, Prestige Labs and Allen. And then after we built and sold those businesses, uh, started Acquisition.com. Now, those are all the things that I've done <laughs> and business related. Uh, I think underneath all of that, like, who I am more so is like uh, weird, I'd say, a little weird, uh, quirky. Uh, I love people. And like my favorite part and why I love business so much is just because I love creating an environment where people really love to work. I love helping other people build that in their businesses. And I like creating a win-win for the customers, for the employees, for the business. And so that's always been what I've really liked doing. Like I think ever since I was young, I've just been passionate about helping people. Um, and I think what a lot of us aspire to, which I also do, is just being that person for my younger self that I never had. Um, there's this thing that I'm sure a lot of people who are watching or listening are going to say to themselves, well, I was in fitness, but I'm not running a multi-million dollar company. That seems like, help me connect those dots here. So you're into fitness, you moved to LA, and I, I think I read that you became the top selling salesperson. Like, how are those two skill sets related? And how does one become so good at sales when that isn't like necessarily the training or the background that you have? Yeah, I mean... Honestly, dude, I think I learned by necessity because I got out to, it was Orange County and I went and I had a degree in exercise science. And so I'm like, oh, I think I can get a, I can get a job as a personal trainer anywhere, right? Which was true. I applied at like six gyms. I got offered at all six, but I had a couple thousand dollars in my bank account. My rent was a thousand dollars a month and I, you know, had gas, food, all that. And so I was like, shit, I need to make money. And I had had jobs before, but never like commission-based or anything like that. And the thing about the job that you could make the money fastest at was that you had to sell. And I had always been so averse to anything like sales. I just thought, oh, salespeople are gross. Yeah. Um, 
And I very quickly understood that like every business sells, right? It just sells in different ways. And if I wanted to actually do what I set out to do, which was the main thing for me was I really just really wanted to help people lose weight. I actually had been about 100 pounds overweight and I had lost it all and then started doing bikini competitions. And so I wanted to help other people do the same. And I realized that like, just because I was good at something <laughs> didn't mean that people were just going to throw themselves at me and want what I had to offer. And so I moved out there, got that job. And I remember there were 20 of us that they hired at the same time. And I want to say the end of month one, there were three of us left. And it was because it was hard. You know, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of preconceived notions about what sales is for one. And I think that deters people from even trying to get good at it. And then the second piece to it is that I think it requires a very large, like a high capacity to receive rejection. And I think that I just have the capacity for that. And I developed that earlier in life. And so that allowed me to be okay with failing so much so quick. And then also saying, you know what, like, this doesn't mean I'm a failure, but it means that I need to work and I need to get better at what I'm doing. I need to acquire skills. And so I just use that as the opportunity of like, I don't want to have to move back home because I couldn't make money and I couldn't afford my rent. Like, I want to prove to myself that I can do this. I don't need anybody. I don't need my parents. I don't need another person to depend on. You know, I can make my own money. And so I remember reading probably like four different books on sales. And the common thread that I felt after reading all of them was I should be really good at sales because I actually believe in what I want them to buy. And I'm trying to learn sales not to make money I mean, there's this is a consequence of it, but like, because I actually want to help people lose weight and I actually want their lives to change. And it's like, this is just something that has to occur in the in-between for me to get there. And so I think it was realizing that and realizing that behind all of the like tactics of sales is if you, if you really realize, like if you pull back the curtain, everyone's trying to manufacture conviction and I had conviction. So why do I need to use any tactics? And so instead what I realized, I just shared my story with everybody. I was like, this is why I came out here. This is why I literally moved as a 21-year-old female alone to California, packed up my car, almost no money, because this is what I want to do for people. And I realized that in sharing that with people, that was what got people to be like, I'm on board. And they were really bought in. So they were more likely to be successful because they were like, that's really cool that you actually did that yourself. And so, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, I mean, obviously you can make a lot of money in sales, but I got really good at sales, quote unquote, because it was something that I wanted to sell. I really believed in it and I knew that I was going to be able to help people. I had the utmost conviction in it. And I think the same goes for today. It's like, I'm sure I'm good at sales, but like, it's because I would never sell something that was shitty, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to pull on that thread a little bit. So you have a pretty radical transformation story yourself. This is what you studied so you believe in the product because it's transformed your life. So your passion carries through in the way that you communicate. And I'm thinking about all our audience who are these introverts, these creative types. Maybe they work in branding, marketing. I, I think they believe what they're doing is good too, but they don't seem to be able to transfer that same passion. And a, a friend of mine, a professor from Art Center, he said, sales is I have a passion and I just want to share that passion with you. So if you can peer into the weird, awkward world of, creatives and designers, mm. what are they missing here that they can't become a Layla and be able to like just kick ass like that? What do you think it is? You know, what's interesting is that you say that really resonates with me because growing up, I identified as like being an introvert. 
You know, I felt like when I was in rooms of people, I wanted to leave or could be there for a little bit of time and then wanted to go home. And over time, I realized that I think many people can be both introverts and extroverts. It depends on the context and the circumstance, you know, because I'm sure that there's people that claim that they're introverts, but in certain rooms, they would like to stay and they like being around a lot of people, depending on who those people are. Mm. And so as I've gotten older, I think I've tried to relinquish myself from any label you know, even my own team, you know, they'll call themselves creatives and they know that I'm like, I'm like, am I not a creative? Because I make content, you know what I mean? Um, but I don't ever want to put myself in that box. And so I would say the first thing is like, I think many of us could label ourselves as something within a context of a situation. But I don't think that we're never equal to a feeling or equal to a label. Like I am not creative. Like you can never be that. You can never be an emotion either. You can't be anxiety. You can't be anything. You can only be who you are. And so... I think that by taking on those labels of like, well, I'm an introvert, so this is gonna be tough for me. How am I gonna sell? Well, I'm a creative, so how about, you are you. You can be a creative and sell. You can be an introvert and sell. You can be an introvert and be passionate and loud at times. And I just found that to serve me so much more because what happens when you label yourself is that it's almost the placebo effect, which is you take on this label and you might have a few attributes that within certain situations, uh, you label yourself as this thing, but then it generalizes to the rest of your life. And you start to bring yourself, you start to show up as that label within all facets of life. And then you actually start to take on all the rest of the attributes of that label as well. There's a lot of studies on this. And so I would just say that within the question you asked itself, that's where people are ultimately starting from. I would say like, it's just not true. Like even the statement, like I am something, like no, you are not. Like you are not any of, you cannot be, it's not physically possible. And so- I think starting from a place of like, when I'm in these certain situations, I tend to act in a way that exhibits these behaviors. And I think just even the language in itself changes how you see yourself. For me, when I am in large rooms with lots of people who are very loud, I tend to want to leave, right? When I am in a large room full of people who are having quality conversations and maybe like sitting and having coffee, like I don't feel the need to get out and leave. And so... I think that the first place is just starting with how we speak of those situations. Because for me, I had a lot of, I would say, really unhelpful assumptions about myself going into that situation that made it hard at first to realize that it's not or it's and. It's not that I have to be an introvert or an extrovert. I can be both. It's not that I have to sell or not sell. I can do both. It's not that I have to be good at one thing or the other. I can do both. And I don't know. I'm just more of a fan of and. It's like, I can be a creative and sell my shit. You know? Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like what you're talking about is um, a mindset issue or a challenge that once you reframe how you define yourself, then you can open yourself up to more opportunities. Is that? Yeah. Okay. I mean, because- I like that. I think the best thing I ever did for myself was say that I'm never going to label myself. I'm never going to subscribe to the, even now people are like, well, how does it feel to be a female? I shut the fuck. I don't care. I don't subscribe to any labels of anything because I might want to change tomorrow because it serves me and it serves my life and my happiness. And so, you know, that's what's worked for me. It's not what's works for everybody, but I don't see as many benefits to labels as I do cons. I'll put it that way. Okay. So the question I have for you then is you're, I think you said you were in your early twenties. You, you moved to LA from Michigan, right? Where did this mindset develop? Where did this philosophy come from? Because a lot of people have labels that were put on them from childhood that they can't seem to escape. It doesn't really matter how old you are. They just can't escape this 
box that they put themselves in or someone's put them in. I, I hate to ask it this way, but like people always assume, were you always this way? Were you born this way? Or did you have a moment in your life when, hey, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to change today. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a defining moment for me was my parents divorced when I was like, I don't know, I was eight or nine. And my mother fell into, you know, alcohol and drugs. And I lived with her and she developed this habit and it kind of snowballed. Like it's at first she's drinking, she's going out, she's getting drunk. So then it's like, she doesn't come home till 3, 4 a.m. Then it's all of a sudden like, she's gone for a day, two days, three days, four days. And I was young and I had been raised mostly by my mother. And so I didn't want to tell my father because it almost felt like, I didn't even know him well enough. Now he has a, a girlfriend who has kids that they're, they're in the house. And I was like, I don't want to go there. And so I lived with my mom while she was going through whatever she was going through. And I remember there was a night. And at this point, I'll, I'll give you some context. I was a very, very shy kid, like made fun of, would sit alone at lunch, like overweight. I had buck teeth, um, like not cute. And I just remember like intense anxiety going to school every day because I was constantly made fun of. I didn't feel like I fit in, you know, physical appearance, all those things. And I remember my mother didn't come home for a couple of days and I was calling her and I'd probably called her like 18 times. And I was just worried she was dead. I was just like, I just wanted to pick up the phone so she can just say that she's alive. I don't even care if you don't come home. Just like, let me know that you're alive. So I don't need to call the police. And I remember just all of a sudden this voice in my head and it was like, stop calling. And then I realized, I was like, there's no point. You're not going to change what's happening here. And then the, the one thought that came through my head and I just remember it crystal clear, I was sitting in the guest bedroom with like this cord phone. I was staring out the window. It was like pitch black, 3 a.m. And I was like, you've got to just make it worth it. And I just remember thinking to myself, like it's been so shitty for the last few years, like every day, insane anxiety, like feeling all sorts of feelings. I don't think, you know, it's not fun when you're a kid and you're alone. And I just made this promise myself. I was like, I want to be a better woman for my future kids and the future generation than this woman has been to me. And I thought about in that moment, everything that she represented to me, victim, dependent on others, weak, you know, succumbing to vices. And I was like, I just want to be the opposite. And in that moment, and I was so young, but I remember so clearly, I was like, my motivation changed. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start like as a young kid, I think at that point, you know, cause they got divorced as eight or nine. I think it, by this point I was probably 11 or 12. I had this new vision of what I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up. And that was how I looked at everything. And I was like, I can't be this shy, scared, fragile girl if I want that to be my life. And I think about that a lot because you know, even the other day, my dad was saying, he was like, you know, I was talking to your sister about your mom. And I just like have these insane feelings of guilt that you ever went through what you went through and that I didn't know. And I was like, honestly, I'm so grateful for it because I probably would have still been that type of person. And I think that was probably the most pivotal moment I can remember. Why I had that thought, I have no idea. But I just remember so clearly having it. And I think that it's stuck with me since then. I mean, it's been like 20 years, but it served me. You're 12 years old. Your mom doesn't come home for days. I can't, it's hard for me to process what a young teenager, you're not even a teenager at that point, the emotions you must be feeling at that point. Um, I don't know if it's okay, but I'm going to ask you, I mean, yeah. did you cry? Did you feel abandoned, lonely? Uh, like, why is this happened? Why is this my life? Because I can't even imagine, I have two boys. 
that when we leave them alone, like they're 17, it's like, oh my God, are you guys going to be all right? Like, do you even know how to put yourself together in the morning? And here you are, you go to school, your mom's not around. Help me understand that. It's like, how does that impact you as a, as a child? I think people are so much more resourceful than you think. I had friends and I would go stay at their houses and I would go, you know, get food from their houses and bring it home. I would entertain myself with playing with kids in the neighborhood. I think in the beginning, it was incredibly hard when it first started happening and it was out of the norm. It was unexpected. That was the hardest because once it became a pattern, you just expect it to happen and it becomes your life. When it wasn't and it was unexpected, I think that was when it was the hardest for me. And it was, the, the way I can only describe it is like when you have that feeling of anxiety, like before you step on stage, I just had that all the time because I felt like I was living with somebody who's very unpredictable. And so I was never sure when the next shoe was going to drop. And then once I saw over a long enough time what her new patterns were, then it was just, how am I going to take care of myself? And I mean, that is where I think so much of, actually my leadership has come from is that, you know, I learned to dress myself, take care of myself, take care of the house. She ended up bringing home 13 animals and then not taking care of them. And so I took care of all the animals, did the dishes, made sure we didn't have rotten food in the house. Like started taking care of things, you know, noticing we had past due bills, like forging your signature, um, doing all that stuff as a young kid, because it's funny, like we treat a lot of kids like they're not capable of all these things. But like so many of the things that I did were things that some adults can't even do, you know, but by necessity, I just started doing them. And I think that you just adapt. And I mean, after that, it was really interesting because then when I had to go and back and live with my dad after years later and the police found out it was a whole thing, um, that was really hard to like have basically been taking care of yourself and then go into a household where people start to try and take care of you. That was incredibly uncomfortable. But I think a lot of kids are more capable than their parents think they are. And, you know, I don't really know. I've, I've read a lot of books on like nature and nurture. I have no idea what goes into it. I don't know why, but I think I made the best of it at the end. You know, I think at the same time, like there's a lot of stuff I dealt with later um, because, you know, it causes some adverse behaviors, like just being angry. <laughs> but I figured that out later on. So yeah. that was fun. I have this theory and I'm I'm really into comic books and graphic novels and, and fiction. And I think the difference that defines a hero and a villain is how they deal with adversity and trauma, right? So in this case, somebody else could have shut down, uh, could have done, gone down their own dark tunnel and repeated the same behaviors versus emerge more reliant, empowered, and made promises to her young self that I'm never going to be this kind of person. I'm going to be the antithesis to this. Um, I'm curious, um, what is your relationship with your mom today? We don't speak. I've tried for a long time. I didn't speak to her for a few years. And it's really interesting, you know, because a lot of people, they're like, oh, do you want to talk? I'm totally fine talking about it. Because I think a lot of people carry a lot of guilt for not speaking to their parents. But if every time you see your parent, there's an incredibly punishing event, and they make your life worse. Would I let somebody else treat me that way? If for the last 15 years that I've tried to have a relationship with her, it has been a series of punishing events, whether it be emotionally punishing, physically punishing, you know, mentally punishing. And so I just decided, I was like, you know, just because you were great for a period of time in my life, it's not, it doesn't work for any me anymore. And just because I'm your daughter doesn't mean I need to stay in a relationship out of obligation because I have higher standards for how my friends treat me and how strangers treat me. Like it, I wouldn't even let a stranger treat me that way. And I'm not talking about like being rude or something like that. Like it goes far beyond that. 
So I ha- I don't have a relationship. I probably would take spurts of like a couple years try, a couple years try. And the last time was, I want to say four and a half years ago. And then I let her know that I was no longer going to attempt to try because I'd tried so many times and I'd given so many chances. And I said, I've just realized by this point, it's been 12 years and nothing's changing. Mm. And, you know, she's tried to reach out, but it's just not something that, I mean, it just, it sounds like people think that I've got like some deep on, I have nothing. I'm just like, what's the benefit? I have um, so many amazing people in my life who bring me so much joy. I have so much in my life that I love doing. So many people that are so great, like, and you just make everything worse. So why would I want a relationship with you? So I just choose not to. My wife um, had, was, was raised by a mom who was, who was too young to have her, like her mom hat on. So she's gone through a lot of her life raising herself and her sisters and yeah. has similar things. It's a little bit different, but there's this thing. They have a great relationship. She's fine. But I think there's something deep inside of her that is very sensitive to the feeling of not being loved. Mm. So whenever I show anything where I'm not pleased with something, it's way more than what that is because it's like a sign that I don't love her. And of course, I do love her. Yeah. Do you have all the love that you need in your life? I think I have a lot of love. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that like my whole life I have, but I feel like right now is probably the happiest I've ever been. Mm. I think it comes down to a really simple sentence that I've just learned is life is so overcomplicated. It's like, do stuff you like with people you like and do more of that. And so I just try to follow that. It's like, even when it comes to work, because I think that if you like what you're doing, you like the people you're doing it with, there's nothing more enjoyable for me. And so I do feel that way. And I think I'm lucky because I have friends that have become like family and then a really strong father, you know, my father and I became super close through that experience because after everything became exposed to him um, and I moved in with him, I don't know if I ever would have gotten that close to him. And still we're very close. We talk every day. Um, he now works in my company. <laughs> um, I don't know if that would have happened if everything for my mom hadn't happened. And my dad is like one of the most genuinely amazing people that I know, like that I truly have ever met in my life. And it's not because he's my dad. It's just because of who he is. And so I feel really lucky. I think when I was young, I had a lot of feelings of envy towards people who had a strong mother. And that was tough for me, like watching people go shopping with their mom and watching them, you know, it'd be movie night and the mom comes down and she's talking with us about like guys and all that. And like, it's like stuff like that when you're a teenager and you're growing up and becoming a woman and not having a woman to talk to, that was hard. But as I've gotten older, I think I've been resourceful enough to find people that have been able to supplement in that way. And I think that I miss the love that the mother I had before she turned to alcohol was, but I don't miss what I got after. And I'll be honest, dude, like I don't spend any time thinking about it because I'm like, it might be true that I'm missing a mother's love, but is it useful to think about? Does it benefit my life? Does it make me feel better or worse? And if it doesn't make me feel better and there's nothing I can do about it, I don't know. I'm so blessed compared, like I'm, I grew up here in America, you know, like I, because my dad came from Iran. It's like, I, I genuinely am like, there's just so much that could be so worse. I have nothing to complain about. Yeah. It's really wild for me to hear you say this and describe your thought process because it's how I think and I describe it to people. And like, you alien, nobody thinks like that. I'm like, no, I know somebody else who thinks just like that. Where, like, here's the example I would give to people. Like, I don't know for a fact that we have free will. I don't. 
we could just all be like cause and effect machines that we just don't understand. I actually agree with you 100%. Right? Yeah. But I choose to believe that we have free will because it's a better idea than to say like, I'm not responsible for my actions and my thoughts, yeah. right? And so when something bad happens to us, we get to choose what is an empowering idea? What's going to move us forward? What are we going to learn from this experience? And you sound like you got that part worked out because you're like you saying like, I might not be me today had it not been for those tough times. So you've gone past the point of blaming and being angry to the point of, I think it sounds like gratitude. Like that made you who you are. That's I think, right? Or no? Well, I think what it is, is that I've... I have stuck around long enough and like yeah. enough time has passed. I've seen the benefit and I've been able to correlate like skills I have now with what I learned then. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're in the like messy middle of it, you're just feeling shitty and you don't feel grateful because you haven't yet recognized the benefit it brings your life. And some things that happen, you don't see the benefit for five or 10 years. And I feel like that's how it was with that. I don't think I saw the benefit for about 10 years, but then when I saw it, it was mm. so clear to me. And I was like, this is why all of that is going to benefit me. Like that developed skills that I'm now using here and it's make, it's giving me a huge advantage like for my age. And I think my gratitude is only amplified over time probably because of that. It's like, I've just recognized the benefit of it. Now you said something uh, and I'd like to revisit this part of it. When you're a young person, you're like, that's not the mom I'm going to be. I'm going to fix myself so I don't repeat these patterns. And it's an incredibly powerful idea because I think what people do is they just wind up repeating the same patterns over and over, generation to generation. So I have this question to ask you because people ask me this. Okay, so in this environment, the Layla that we know today is here. So if you were to have kids, would you want them to be like, hey, go take care of yourself, figure out your life because I'm not going to take, because that's what made you or... Do you say like, let me, let me take care of you so that you don't have to deal with that. And then how does that shape their thinking? I'm curious in that thought experiment, what you would do. I think there's a difference between having kids and parenting. And when I think of parenting, I think it's very similar to, like, there's a lot of similarities between parenting and mentoring, mentoring like younger people. And I think that I would look at it like I'm this person's mentor. And I thought about this a lot. Um, I don't let my emotions dictate my actions enough for me to not do what I know is ultimately right by a person. So even when, I mean, I have so much care for the people on my team, but I will not baby them because I don't see how that benefits them. Even if I want to, even if I'm like, they're crying and I'm like, is that going to benefit them long-term? And if it's not going to, I'm not going to do it. You know, because I feel like that's selfish because it only makes me feel better, not them. And so I view kids the same way, which is I would do what's best for them in the short and long-term. And I think that that's a, a good frame for parenting. It's like, how do I act in a way that benefits my children, both in the short term and the long term? Because a lot of the times it's one or the other. And I think the best is when you can find it that it serves both. To be honest, I would just never hand my children anything because I don't, again, I just don't see how it would benefit them. I think that that doesn't mean I wouldn't teach them and give them advantage by educating them, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to give it to them right? Like I'll teach you how to build this. I'm not going to give it to you. Hmm. There's something that um, Alex wrote uh, and he said on stage, and I'd like to get your opinion on, he said something like um, successful people have these three traits. If I, I hope I'm getting this right. They have a, something like a God complex. They think they can fix the world and make it better. Um, they have some form of crippling insecurity and they're willing to delay gratification. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I want to focus on is this insecurity thing. Like Alex is a super yoked guy. 
very successful. I'm like, what do you have to be insecure about? And then I saw on your Instagram, you're like, I have insecurity. You're a super successful, fit, beautiful person. Like everybody's going to be watching this. Like what can she possibly insecure, be insecure about? And what is it and where is it coming from? And how are you dealing with it? I mean, I think insecurity comes from if, from if more of my life than not, I was a certain way, then it will take longer to acclimate to the new conditions. So it's like, if for a long time I was overweight, then it's going to take me a long time to feel confident, even if I've lost the weight. Because the circumstance can change, but like my behaviors of acting like a fat person do not. So like even to this day, like, it's so funny. Uh, I was talking to one of our good friends, Dr. Cash, he was uh, here in town and I was saying something and I was like, I just want to lose like four more pounds so I can like look like really fit in this. And he was like, you do, but you wear baggy clothes. And I was like, oh, and he was like, yeah, you don't dress like you're fit, but you're fit. And I was like, it's so funny. Mm. I still don't to this day. Like I still feel weird wearing tight clothes because for so long I was so fat. And so I think it's almost like the circumstance changes, but we don't adapt our behaviors to match. And I think that's why there's just a lot of things that have changed very quickly for me in my life um, and happened on a fast time horizon. And it's almost like you don't catch up to it. I think that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is I'm always comparing myself and looking at people who are so far ahead of me that I do feel like I have a lot of deficits and skills to work on. I don't, now let me put it this way. I'm not like beating myself up over it. Like I, I, that's old. Like old Layla would do that. Maybe I was like 21, 22, but like I don't beat myself up over that. I'm just like, oh man, I've got a lot to learn. But I think the insecurity, it's probably more now, it, like in the, like probably most, what's most relevant to me has been since I started making content. Because running a business, I felt very insecure in the beginning. The first few years, I was like, oh my God, I'm 23. These probably people probably think I'm a fucking idiot. Who's this 23-year-old bitch running a business? You know what I mean? Like, seriously. I mean, I'm like, it's not, what business do you have doing this? You don't have any experience. And like, now I got to work for you, you know? And so that's the, like, what I would play out that they're thinking when I hired them. And I was like, I have no actions that support that, but I'm like, and I will say like, it drove me to try so hard and like work my fucking ass off to make sure that I would be really good at what I did. And I don't think that I felt, I don't think I recognized, I don't think that my confidence matched my competence until probably five years in. And I think with like social media and posting and making videos and all that, like even like when, even now you were telling me before, you're like, we're gonna talk about brand. I was like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> because I'm like, oh my gosh, I just started like two and a half years ago at the most, like the very beginning was two and a half years ago. I'm like, I feel like I'm like barely scratching the surface and I feel like I'm awful at all of it. And so I think that a lot of times it just takes time for you to recontextualize where you're at. And especially if things happen quickly, like our business grew quickly. Some people might say my brand like grew generally quickly compared to others. And so it's like, you don't catch up necessarily. And I think it's like, you're still human. I think just because I act a certain way, I don't let insecurity drive my behavior. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I hope that that can be aspirational for people rather than, because I used to always look at people and think, oh my God, I've got to get rid of all my insecurities until I can build a business, until I can make content, until I can do all these things. And then I realized that that never fucking happened. Right. And I did it all while having all those feelings at the same time. And that was relieving to me. And it still remains relieving because I'm like, oh, I can make room for all these emotions and I can still get this shit done. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to our conversation. I've not achieved anywhere near the level of success that you have, but when people ask me, what's the secret to success? I pause and I'll tell them this answer and they're not expecting it. And I'll say, choose a good partner in your life because they'll lift you or they'll drag you down. They'll make you feel guilty for working or they'll be right there next to you working with you. And so I have to say, and I've uh, done a little research in your story and I I think there's something quite remarkable about your relationship with Alex uh, because I think I cannot imagine two people who are more suited for each other than the two of you. It's like, you're the female version of him and he's the male version of you. It's like your mirrors. You love to work. Like, it's so weird to say like, Hey, what are you doing? Let's work. I'm like, I don't know any woman who would do that. And like, you're the one again, it's like the, 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 the anomaly in the matrix. Right. And you guys find each other and you support each other and you lift each other. The question I have for you is this, Alex tells a story and it's pretty well documented. He's like, I'm a loser. I've lost everything. I've made you quit your job. You've come live with me. My question for you is, why were you so loyal to him? What did you see in this person that didn't even give himself credit? And I think in the book that I read, it's like, if you left him there, I think he would have been a broken human for the rest of time because there was not a lot going for him. And and everyone's, I think everybody, if they're so blessed in this life to have one person who could look him freaking in the eye and say, I believe in you before you believe in yourself. I'm just curious what you saw uh, because, you know, there's a lady or a man out there and you, you have a partner. Let's learn to identify these things because we, we, we can't abandon these people too early. Yeah. When I first met Alex, and this is just to give context, I remember the fourth day having met him and he had to go out of town for something. And I was at work and he was like, hey, can you pick up all the cash from all of my gyms and deposit it into the bank for me? And I was like, I remember I called him and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You just met me on Bumble and you asked me to pick up all your money? And he was like, no, you're loyal. And I was like, how do you know? He was like, I can just tell. He's like, you would never do that. And I was like, he's fucking right. You know what I mean? (laughs) I was like, I mean, he's right. I would never steal a penny from anybody, right? That's just not who I am. And so I say that to demonstrate, like I am loyal to a fault. And I had been loyal many times previously in my life just to people who maybe didn't reciprocate it back to me. And when I met Alex, I think that there's two drivers of that, which is like one, I think I I value loyalty from others. And so I want to exhibit it to others first. I also, I think I genuinely have always strived to be like as good of a person as my father is. And he's the type of person who will stand by someone no matter what. You know what I mean? 
And so I think I'm really grateful to have him as a role model. But when I met Alex, I think bringing that into the relationship, and then when I met him, I saw a man who was so incredibly strong, the most persistent person I've ever met. His work ethic was, and still is, higher than anybody's I've ever seen. I mean, like his ability to actually have high output for 14 hours a day, just sitting there, not needing reinforcement, it's crazy to me. But I saw that he was in a place where I think there was two things that I felt, and he probably, he might not agree with some of this because it has to do with other people, but I felt like he didn't have the right people surrounding him to let his strengths shine. Like I felt like he had some really strong, he had very special gifts, I would say, that he had cultivated in himself, and he didn't have the right people around him to showcase those gifts. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that what a lot of people also don't know is that Alex is incredibly giving he will give more than the other person always. And that's how he is in all relationships. And I felt like that was kind of the place he was in, which is like he continued to be giving to people and like given too much. And also I didn't feel like there was anything that he was doing that was wrong. I just felt like he didn't have the right people around him. And I remember thinking to myself and telling him, I was like, I feel like we can make such a great team. Like, I really feel like I see exactly what you're fantastic at. And I think I have a complimentary skill set. And I think if we keep cultivating our skills, we could be unstoppable together. And I'd always had the vision of wanting somebody who amplified me as a person rather than suppressed me as a person. And he was the first man I met that actually voiced that he wanted that. I remember even just the way he said it. He was like, if I want somebody to cook and clean for me, I'll hire a maid. And I was like... I get it. But I had had a lot of people that I'd been in relationships with who wanted me to be more quiet, you know, to stand down, to not be so opinionated. And I'm like, I am loud and I'm weird and I'm, I work really fucking hard and I'm, I'm trying to be successful. You know what I mean? So like, it just felt like they wanted me to be less than myself. And I understand that that's not for everybody. I have no judgment upon that either. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just not what works for me. And so in that moment, honestly, the thought that came to mind was like, I just remember the first thought was like, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm, I'm not going to leave. Like, I would, there's no way after all of this that we've been through, after this last year, like, we're going to turn the story around. And that was the biggest thing I had in my mind. I remember after that talk we had, we went and we went to the Cheesecake Factory, I think. And we were in the parking lot and it was like dark and the stars were really pretty. And I remember walking, I was like, do you see what this could become? I was like, we can be so great together. And I just know it. I can feel it. Like it just makes so much sense. And we have so much shit working against us right now. The moment it's not, I just know that this can be something so great. And I saw glimpses of it at times. You know, it's funny. It's like, I don't know what that is because I'd never met anyone like him. So it wouldn't be pattern recognition, but I'd also never met anyone that I was so compatible with. And so I think that was also part of it. Like I'd never met someone who we had so many shared interests, so much shared history family history, heritage. I mean, like everything was just weird and we met randomly, you know? Yeah. And so I was like the feeling of like, this is not how the story ends. Like I'm not that person who walks away when it's hard. I fucking get in there and buckle down. I'm like, I'm in this too, dude. Like I just made all my friends quit their job to come work for us. Like we are both risking shit right now. And I also was just like, I'm never going to be that partner that brings my man further down when he's already down. Like I want to bring him up and remind him how great he is. And I think that that's been something that has been incredibly useful for us as a couple has been, you know, a lot of times in your relationship and one is down, 
the other gets brought down by that person. And then you're both in the shitter. <laughs> and we've always been like, if one of us is down, the other one's like selling them on why you're so good and bringing them back up. And I think it's been really helpful for us over the years. That's really beautiful. I feel like if we're listening very carefully right now, there are 10,000 people listening on the internet crying because they don't have somebody like this in their life, you know? Yeah. I mean, if I understand the story correctly, I, if please correct me if I'm wrong here. I think Alex was feeling super down on himself. He's like, I blew it again. All the money's gone. We're in a deep place. And he's like, we're breaking up. I th did he say that? Uh, or did I read he that? He said, I'm like, a you, leave me. ship. I'm, I'm, you yeah, should leave you, me. You got to leave me. And I don't know a lot of people who'd be like, yeah, no, I'm going to stick to, you know, the ship. Like when, we, when you watch Titanic, like, gentlemen, it's a pleasure playing with you. No, I'm looking for the boat. Because what are we doing? Are we going down with the ship? What, what, I, don't, I don't know many people who would say, no, 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 no. Hold on. You're in, a, you're in a low spot. I've seen you at your high. Let's get back up there and let's double down again. I don't think anybody, like the biggest accomplishments in life and that people hear of and know of, like, it's not like one person does it alone. Yeah. You know, even if you look at the most successful companies, it's three founders. And I think it's because of that. It's because you need people around you when shit is not working that are going to be like, I've got you. And, you know, I want that from a partner. And so I'm going to show it to them. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. What you guys have is so rare. And I wish everybody has an opportunity to find this where the other person only wants to see you in your best light, to never, to feel intimidated by your success, by, by your beauty or by your fortune, whatever it is, that they're just, please be more of you because more of you is what I love. And then for the other person to feel the exact same way, it's always something's off. I'm jealous. I'm envious. I feel guilty. And you guys do this. And it's, when you see that and you see the ascent of both you and how much you've achieved in such a short period of time, it makes perfect sense. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think from a behavior standpoint, the more autonomous the person, the more freedom they need to have in a relationship, whether it be in a job or in a partnership or friendship. And if I want autonomy, then why would, it's almost like, um, I think a lot of people wish for a partner that they can control, but also that has all the attractive features of somebody who's autonomous. And you can't have both. Because when people feel like they can control their partner, because maybe they're a little less something than them, it gives a feeling of security. But I've just never wanted that. And I've always wanted someone to feel like when they're with me, they can be completely themselves and I can be completely myself. And that we are together, not because we feel like we have to be, but because my life is better with you. It would be great on its own, but with you in it, I like it more, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Business stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah. And branding. <laughs> I, I heard a staggering figure when he said this on stage and it, the, the hilarious thing is it's it's way crazier than this number now. I think he said that you guys spent like $20,000 a month on your media content branding stuff. And then I told somebody else like, Chris, you monkey, they don't spend that. They spend this. What is the current number that you both spend individually on media and content? I think in total, it fluctuates anywhere between 80000 and... 130,000 a month. And Each. No, in total. In total, okay. Uh, and then that's without like travel and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Okay, so let's say it's let's, for round numbers $50,000 each. Sure. Okay, that's you guys do the math. I think that's $600,000 a year that Layla 
Is that right? Six hundred thousand. Yeah, six hundred thousand dollars a year, which is more than what most people make in 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 a year. And you guys are spending so much money. You're shrewd business people. What is it that you're getting by investing so much? And I think you guys keep saying we're going to double, quadruple down on this because it's working. What is it that you're getting? Can you tell us the tangibles and the intangibles? Yeah, I mean, when we first started making content, there's I think two reasons, which was one. We just wish we had documented sooner what we were doing in Gym Launch, and we felt like it would have been really helpful for people. You know, right when we were selling Gym Launch, I was like, man, you know, I saw Alex started making more general content for people that didn't have gyms. And then I was like, you know, I, I wish, because people always ask me this question. They always say, what woman, woman have you looked up to in business? And I always blink because I don't have one. Um, it's always been men. And so I've always been like, damn, like you can't be that for other people unless they know who the fuck you are, right? And I know there's a lot of like 19, 20 year old girls out there who like looking for a woman to look up to. And like, I make it my mission to like be worthy of somebody's admiration. But you can't do that unless you put content out there. So I think that's half of it. The other half is I see no world in which anything I want to build in the future wouldn't benefit from people from having a brand personally. And if I can learn how to build a brand personally, I think I can also learn how to build a business brand, to build many other brands. Because I think a lot of people look at the brand and they say, wow, it's so valuable, their personal brand. But the formula for building the brand is actually more valuable in my opinion. And so it was something I felt was worthy of understanding because even in business prior, it's like I understood paid ads, outbound, email marketing, um, affiliate marketing, you know, it's like referral marketing. Like I understand all of that and how to do it, but I've never understood brand. And so we said when we started, when we sold our companies, we were like, whatever we do next, I think we should start a brand. And it required us to make a decision that we would also give up a lot of privacy, which I think we both really liked at that point. It was a very different life we had. We lived in like a big house in a suburban neighborhood, you know, didn't make content, like didn't leave our house much, didn't do much social stuff. And our life is completely different now. And so I think how it's changed my life has been, I think, a net positive because I think that it's made it for me specifically, not Alex, um, my ability to build a team is so much easier because now when people go in the interview process, they can go watch all my content. I get people who are much more, that have shared values with me much earlier than before. Whereas before I would have to vet people out much more on the interview side. Now they vet themselves out by watching my content. That's the first piece. The second piece is that, you know, Alex was the face of gym launch. And so people always thought I was like his secretary. And so people would come because they wanted to work for Alex and then be like, oh, Layla runs everything. Like I report to her. And I was like, oh my God. And so it's been really helpful in that there's a, I think a more balanced culture and team because there's some people who like were attracted to Alex and some that were attracted to Layla. And I think that makes a much stronger team because like we balance each other out. Therefore the team balances each other out. I would say from a business standpoint, deals come to us rather than us going to go get deals. And if we do want to pursue a deal, um, like approach them, they answer because they know our brand or one of our names. Uh, same with talent. Uh, if I can't necessarily, if maybe the person isn't coming to me that I'm looking for, it's a very specific skill set. If I reach out to them, they answer. And so it's made a lot of things much easier to do when it comes to business. It's made a lot of I would say like being on social media more positive because you can see the impact you have on people. 
and getting to run into people and them telling you like how much you've changed their life, like that's really cool. I would say on the other side, I have a very large lack of privacy now. And I don't feel like I can leave my house without seeing somebody who's seen me on the internet, who like snaps a picture, uh, especially if I'm with Alex, cause he wears like a costume. You know, he, we probably get stopped six to eight times every time we go on a walk. So my, I think it's made me, I would say in many ways become a better person because you realize that like, you can't afford to be in a bad mood. Uh, one, we now have an in-person headquarters. Like I can't afford to be a bad mood in front of my team. Poor Jason probably sees it more than anybody. Um, <laughs> but you know, me and Alex, I might be in a bad mood or him in a bad mood when we're out just at the mall or at the grocery store on a walk. And then you run into somebody and they just want to like, this is their one time they meet you. And you're like pissed the fuck off about something. I have just learned to just completely turn it off. Just forget whatever's happening with me and just be like, they deserve better. And so I think it's had a lot of net benefits for me. I think sometimes I miss like being able to walk out of my house and not like, you know, be like looking like hit as fuck and someone take a picture. Um, Cause sometimes that happens and I'm like, fuck, you want a picture of me in my pajamas? I was walking to CVS, you know? Um, but I think it's overshadowed by the benefit. And I think more than anything, it's like getting to see people avoid the mistakes that I made while building a business, while navigating my way through my early life. Like that's the coolest part because all the rest of it, like there's also, I mean, our businesses could work in different ways. We wouldn't have to have a brand, but like I think it's cool to see the impact. And I think the only reason somebody should even pursue it is if they want to have an impact and they have to mean it. Because again, I know a lot of people who will have a brand and then they start getting the notoriety, but then they start losing the privacy and losing the autonomy. And they're like, this sucks. I hate this. And I can see how somebody might feel that way some days. That's why I think you have to be really serious about what you want in life. And I think after we built Gym Launch and sold those businesses and we're like, it was a monetary success in my opinion, like a large monetary success, but it didn't feel like an impact success to me. On an industry, many would say yes, but I was like, I want to have a bigger impact than that. And I think that's what the content allows us to do while also benefiting us from a business standpoint. I don't think I'm alone in saying this. I think it'd be cool for you to be out there with no makeup, with curls on and in your, your sweaty pants and a stain on the shirt. I think that'd be super cool. That'd be a Layla I love as well. I'm just saying, so if you wanted to go to the CBS run, I think it's pretty cool. And somebody's like, look, she's so real. Look at her. To be fair, I do. I just, you know, wear sunglasses. <laughs> and, and then I, they're like, hey, and I'm like, you recognize me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can tell it's you. Let's talk about the costume a little bit. Oh, yeah. Again, okay, everything is in alignment, except for the way the two of you see style and fashion. And I will say this to Alex when he's here. It's like, bro, I don't get it. I just totally do not get it. It's the strangest vibe. And then here you are all put together, top to bottom. It's a total style mismatch. How do you guys, how does that work in your world? I'm just curious. Um, Alex really likes to be functional. And by the way, when I say costume, uh, I call it his costume because he literally wears the same thing every day. Um, And if he doesn't wear that, people don't recognize him nearly as much. But if he wears that, he's always recognized. So I'm like, it's a a costume almost now. He's always been just function. Like the guy is very, like when he wants something to be the certain way, I mean, we probably have in the house currently 55 pairs of shoes that he's tried. Uh, We've probably thrown away 150, 200 pairs from the last year because he's like, I got to get the perfect shoe. Uh, Same with pants and shorts. Like got to get the perfect short. I want them to be versatile. I want to be able to go to a wedding, go to a pool, get into a restaurant, work out, go to sleep. 
And I'm like, that's gross. Um, <laughs> how about you take a shower? Stay on your half of the bed. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And uh, he's just always prioritized function. I, I would assume it's probably also because like Alex went to uh, private schools and he had to wear uniforms. And so I would also imagine it's like, it's probably, I mean, if you do that your whole life or you wear the same thing, or you never have to think about an outfit, you probably see that it's beneficial. Yeah. And so I, I've thought about that. I'm like, I wonder if that's where it comes from too, because you never have to worry about your wearing. For me, I have always, and I still don't feel like I'm like, I've nailed down anything when it comes to style, but I've just found like what you wear clothing wise as it's just fun for me almost. So like, it's not that I'm always dressed up because I'm not. Sometimes I come to the office, I'm just in workout clothes and whatever, or like sweatpants. But like, I like dressing up. Yeah. And I think part of it is also that in the last few years, I finally realized that I'm not 220 pounds. And I also am like, I'm proud of like staying in shape and like looking nice. And like, I for so long wanted to wear things that looked awful on me. And so I think there's a sense of uh, freedom in choosing clothing and seeing something that's cute and then putting it on, it's still looking cute rather than like looking like you're busting out a bag. And so I think that's part of why I like dressing a certain way. There's nothing like deeply that I'm deeply attached to. I mean, I might go a week with like not dressing up at all. I might go a week with dressing up every day. I just do what I feel like. And I think it's, it's just fun for me. I, that's literally, I think it's just turned into a little bit of a hobby and like fun. It's just understanding, also just probably understanding the world of fashion, getting to talk to fashion designers, getting to speak to people who uh, design clothing, come out with like, you know, some of the top people in the industry, getting to understand the intent behind it. It's much more interesting. Yeah. Do you like to go shopping? I don't like to go shopping. I like people to bring clothing to my home and then I try it on and then keep what I like. Okay. Um, does... does I, 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 most people I know is like, I need a second opinion. Mm. My wife's like, Hey, is, is Alex in that? Or he's like, no, he's like, stay out of this. Um, I wear a lot of clothing that I would say is clothing for women yeah. more than clothing for men. Like women would be like, that's so cute. And Alex would be like, no, Alex any day would just pick a, if you've heard of like a bandage dress, it's just like skin tight with your tits popping out. He'd probably pick that every time. And I'm like, I can't wear that to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my style necessarily you call that a bandage outfit it's like called no, no, a bandage no. dress like bandage it's like dress. a band-aid like no, it's never skin heard tight. of that before skin tight it's a thing i also am like i am married and happily married and i run a company i have lots of people who work for me like i would never want to dress in a way that made anyone feel uncomfortable yeah. So I think there's a difference between fashionable and sexual. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with women who want to dress that way. I might go for it. It just, I don't think it serves me for the goals I have. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Dunn and produced by me, Stuart Schuster. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by reviewing and rating our show on Apple Podcasts. It will help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? 
head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.